Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Uh, last week, we, we looked at the passages of scripture that show that, that really our life is a courtroom. Um, that uh, your life is a courtroom, my life is a courtroom, and in, in the courtroom of our life, you are the judge. Now, Jesus, God, is the judge of all the earth. He's the ultimate judge, but for now, he's given you the gavel and the, the, the judgment seat for you to be able um, to judge everything in your life. And this, this is something that as, as I was just meditating on this this week, like it's really a, a fascinating concept that God would, would, would give us the judge's gavel uh, for a season in our, in, in our existence. And he would allow us to hear the witnesses and hear the evidence and review the evidence and make a judgment call about who he is, that he, he's, he, he, he's willing to allow us to do that. And it's really interesting because this isn't just powerful with regard to Jesus. This is true about everything. What you come into agreement with is really important. You're making judgment calls throughout your life. You're, 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 you're judging people. I don't judge. Yeah, you do. Like you're, 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 you're judging, you're judging situations. You're judging churches. Like it is, I'm not saying it's a bad thing for so often the word judge just gives this bad connotation. But if that's the case, then, then why do we have judges if all judging is bad? It's, it's not. Judging is not bad. Judging is merely the ability to, to affirm what is right and, and to condemn what is wrong. This is the role of a judge, okay? And so if you, if you want to go to school to be a judge, it's not the same as a drug dealer. You're not a bad person, okay? Like there's some good things about being a judge. And so the, like there are good judges even in, like, in, in, in the world. There are good judges, judges that try to, to do what is right, that try to judge fairly and try to uphold the law. This is good. Well, you are also judging things throughout your life and you're either affirming what is good Right? Or you're affirming what is evil. You're either condemning what is evil or you're condemning what is good. But I believe that God wants us to have wisdom in our judging and in our judgments because how we judge things will determine on how God is able to work in our lives. Because, like what happens in a courtroom? When, when, when the judge lowers the gavel, the, the one that he condemns is bound. <laughs> and the one that he approves of is released. What did Jesus say? He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. In other words, Jesus himself, God himself, he, 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 it's not that we're more powerful than God, but God has chosen to limit his power to our agreement. Agreement with God is called faith. And in the, in the Gospels, there was an area of a town that Jesus went to and it said that he couldn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith, because they judged him as incapable or unable. They, they judged, they, they, they condemned him and so they bound him in their lives. Now he's not really bound. God, you can't really bind God. He's sovereign. But you can limit his activity in your life. 
by your agreement or lack of agreement. When you do not agree with what God says over your life, you, you, you basically shackle him in your life. And he is powerful and he is able and he is who he is and you can't change that. But in your life, he will be limited. You will not see the power of God in your life. So you've got to be so careful about what you agree with. What agreements are you making? What agreements are you, are you coming into alignment with? This is why it's so important, like things that you read and things that you listen to, like you can get, you can get pharisaical about it and like, I don't listen to anything, it's secular. Like, well, okay, well, not all things secular are bad, but, but you have to be careful what you're coming into agreement with, what, what quote, resonates with you, right? Well, oh, that, that, that speaks to me. Well, that's interesting. Is it, is, it, is it in line with the truth of God's word? If it is, then great, you're going to activate the power of God in your life as you believe believe what God says. But if it is not in line with the truth of God's word, you're going to activate an entirely different power in your life. You're going to release chaos. You're going to release a lack of self-control. You're going to release, like so much of the time, like we have a desire to follow God, but we don't agree with him. And it's like, well, okay, I'm, I, I know I should do this, but I really don't. And, 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 and the key is to come into agreement first. As we come into agreement, we release the Holy Spirit in our life. As we come into agreement with him, we release his activity, and it, empower, it enables him to do what he's promised us to do. So you will not find the promises of God in your life so long as you continue to agree with the enemy. And the enemy is the accuser. Right, He's the one bringing exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C against God. God is the defendant. God is trying to prove that he is who he says that he is to you. And he wants you to choose him. He won't force himself on you. He won't, he won't, he won't make you receive him. Instead, he has brought forth a few witnesses. Like any good defendant will bring forth some eyewitnesses. And John talks about that. And so if we can look at John, First uh, uh, John chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, actually. Let's go, but let's start at verse 6. So actually, we're going to start at verse 6, and we're going to go forward. I'm going to read the whole chapter today. Uh, this is the one, he says, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. And he's talking about Jesus. He didn't come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. So go on to verse 7. Is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Trying to find it. All right. Anyway, verse 7 says there are three that testify. Um, There are three that testify. And then verse 8 tells us the three witnesses or the three that are testifying. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. All their testimonies agree. And in verse 9, John further, he, he just explains what he's saying. He says, look, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God. You can keep going forward. He says, we accept human testimony. So he's talking about a courtroom. He says, look, in a courtroom, human, uh, if you get three humans together, they all say that they saw or heard the same thing. All right, we're going to accept their testimony as true. And so in the same way, he says, we ought to believe God. God has given us a testimony about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God, what, is, what, is it, what, what are they doing? They're accepting God's testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. That him is small case. So it really should say whoever doesn't uh, accept, doesn't believe God has made himself out to be a liar. 
because you're, you're a false judge, you're a corrupt judge, you're condemning the innocent, right? And you are, you are acquitting the guilty. Because it says he, have, he has not believed the testimony that God's given about his son. And this is it. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. That's a good testimony. The witness of the spirit, the water, and the blood, they all agree that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son, Jesus. And whoever has Jesus has life, and whoever doesn't have Jesus does not have life. And so today I want to talk about the second uh, witness. I would like to bring forward to the, the, the witness stand, the second witness. La- last week I talked about the first witness, which is the Holy Spirit. And we saw how the Holy Spirit testified about Jesus in his earthly life, but also how the Holy Spirit continues to testify about Jesus in our present life. He's still speaking about Jesus, and so today I want to bring forward. I want to bring forward uh, uh, the second witness, which this is a little bit weirder. It's a little bit, you know, I don't know. It's 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 water. So it's easier, I think, for us to think about the Spirit as being a witness because it's like, oh, that's a person. But now we're talking about water. How exactly does water talk? I know money talks, but how does water talk? I mean, it, how does water testify? about Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through just the life of Jesus and just give a few examples of some of the 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 the, the testimony that water was given. So water was brought uh, to the witness stand at from the very beginning of Jesus's life on earth. So you have the spirit who sends the angel to Mary, who is a virgin, and says, you're going to bear a child. You're going to call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And she asked the obvious question, how is that going to happen since I don't know a man? I'm not married, right? And the spirit, the, the angel says, well, what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Now, he doesn't, still doesn't explain how this thing is going to happen. He just says, look, you're going to have an encounter with God that's so powerful that it's just going to happen. This has never happened before or since, all right? This is, this is, this is, this is, this is like blowing apart a basic biology. How is this going to happen? Mary is asking a legit question. The angel says, well, the Holy Spirit's going to do it. That's the, that's the first witness, the witness of the Spirit. Mary believed that witness, even though she had no evidence. She believed that witness, and she had an encounter with God. We don't know how that went, but we simply, it must have been pretty awesome. And she wakes up the next day, and nothing happened. Now, I know some of you ladies, like, you knew the next day. I know, like, that's what some ladies say. I'm not, I, I can't argue with that, right? Because I have no idea, like, I don't, I can't relate. Um, but, but I also know that some ladies knew the next day and then they didn't, and it wasn't right. And then they knew the next day and then it wasn't right. And then it finally, so if you guess enough, you're going to get right. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just saying, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, um, like maybe she did know the next day. I don't know. Maybe her women's intuition kicked in. I don't know how that worked. I know the next day she didn't look any different. She probably didn't feel any different. She, she like, and so now the, the, the prosecuting attorney, like the shows up in your life and says, Hey, um, I know God said this thing was going to happen. I know you had this encounter with God, but there's no evidence. Nothing's changed. <laughs> 
your body's still working the way it was. Everything's like, like she's never been pregnant before. She, like she doesn't know what to expect, what to expect when you're expecting. There wasn't that book out back then. So she doesn't even know, you know? And, 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 and the prosecutor and the attorney says, look, you had this experience with God and yet nothing is different. You are the same person you were before. Yeah, and this is what the prosecuting attorney does. This is what Satan does in our life. You'll have an encounter with God. You'll wake up the next morning. You'll feel the exact same as you did before the encounter. You'll wake up on the same side of the bed that you did before the encounter. You might have some similar attitudes that you had before the encounter. You might, like, the, you, you might just have an encounter with God, and God says he did something in you, but you don't necessarily see the evidence yet. And so the question is, like, like uh, how, what do you do? What do you do when, when God says that he did something in your life and yet you don't see it happening in your life? Well, for Mary, she continued to believe because the, the witness of the Spirit, because the Spirit told her this. So it is so important that the first witness that God brings into our life is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who draws us. He's the one who calls us. He's the one who convicts us of our sin. And when we confess our sin and repent of our sin, we believe by faith that he has forgiven us of our sin. We don't always see the forgiveness here. We don't always see it activated in our life. We don't, we're not always overwhelmed with emotion. Oh my goodness, I'm so forgiven. Like, no, like sometimes you just simply believe it by faith. You wake up the next morning, you're still struggling with the same temptations, still dealing with the same tendencies, still have the same parents, still dealing with the same spouse. You know what I'm saying? Your kids are exactly, like everything looks the same. And you're tempted to say, well, I guess I didn't really have an experience. Or I guess maybe the whole Holy Spirit, the witness of the Holy Spirit isn't true. And it's so difficult during those first few weeks. But then, and, and, the, and, and this is where it'd probably just, just be helpful to get the whole courtroom thing. But then the witness took the stand. So what happens is, <laughs> uh, if, if you just believe long enough, and you keep believing, and you keep reminding yourself of what Scripture says, what the Spirit said, because the Scripture is inspired by the Spirit. So if you keep reminding yourself of the first witness, what happens is eventually a second witness will come up and take the stand. In other words, eventually, after, I don't know, I, I remember with our first kid, I, I don't remember the second one, but I remember with our first child, Madden, uh, it was about, I don't know, Ro could probably say, it was like five or six weeks or so, and she started to get a little, like, a little bump, you know, like a baby bump, I think she called it. I don't know. It was like, like, like her belly started sort of popping out. What is that? Well, that's a baby. <laughs> it might have been more like eight to ten. I, she would tell you. I don't remember. It was like there was a, eight, eight to ten weeks, I mean. Like, I, I don't know exactly when, but I, I, I just know that if you hold on long enough, something starts getting larger. And what is that? Well, that's a sack. That's a sack with a baby in it and a whole bunch of water in it. In other words, if you believe the word of the Lord, the spirit of God, and continue to walk in obedience, you believe the first witness. It, after some time, the second witness will sort of pop out. The water in her belly started getting bigger. 
Now it, it was there from the time that, that she that she was impregnated somehow that God created this whole thing. It started, it was just so small that she couldn't see it. She had to accept it by faith. But there came a point at which the water started becoming unavoidably noticeable. And the water got bigger and bigger, though the, the, the amniotic fluid that has the baby in it, and her stomach gets bigger and bigger and bigger. What is that? That's the witness of this of the water. The water comes up after the spirit and says, Let me give you demonic demonstrable, is that the right word? Demonstrable? Demonstrable? Anyway, demonstrable proof. <laughs> That's how you spell it. Uh, let me give you like undeniable visual. This is what the water does. The water gives an undeniable visual of what the Spirit said was happening in the, like in the micro. Like you couldn't, it was so small that when the Spirit calls it out, you can't see it. You have to trust by faith. But though, if you keep trusting by faith long enough, the, the water will start to give a visual, an actual sort of faith building reminder. And man, her faith must have jumped so much when her stomach started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so this is what the water does. This is what the water does in, within our own baptism. Right? This is why it's so important that before you're baptized, you've already received the Spirit in terms of salvation. You've already believed the Word of God that if I confess my sins, He's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's important that you already have that event in your life. Because the water of baptism is meant to agree with what the Spirit is already doing in your life. And so if the Spirit isn't already doing things in your life, don't get baptized yet. Because I've baptized some people and the water didn't agree. <laughs> you know? It, just, it, just, it, was, it was an attempt to do something. The water was an attempt to start something that was supposed to be started by the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one who draws us, convicts us, convinces us. And it is with the Spirit that we repent. It is with the Spirit that we believe. It is with the Spirit that we are saved. Not by the water. The water doesn't save us. And it is with the Spirit. And however, the water is a confirmation. It, it, it agrees with what the Spirit is already doing in our life. Because there are other baptisms where you know God's already doing something in this person's life. And then we dunk them and it, and it is agreement. And there's a, there's, there, there's, there's, a, there's a strong connection there. And you're like, yes, this is absolutely true. One time early on in City Chapel, uh, we were having a baptism service. We just put it out on Facebook the, the day before or something. And this lady, this girl showed up and I didn't know her. And she said she wanted to be baptized. And so I said, great, you know, and I asked her a couple of questions, but it was kind of just quick. And so we dunked her and, and uh, prayed over her. And then afterward, we're all standing around talking. So I said, so what? What brought you to City Chapel? Like, why do you, why did you want to be baptized today? And so then that's when she told me that it turned out she had had a dream the night before that her dead grandmother appeared to her and like told her that she wanted something, I don't know, wanted to be baptized or like get close to God or something. And then she saw on Facebook our baptism. She thought it was a sign. So she came to get baptized. And I said, ah, well, you know, I mean, dreams of dead grandmothers are nice, but that's not the Holy Spirit. There's, there's just because you have a dream of somebody that I mean, it it could have been the pizza, <laughs> you know, or it could just be that you miss your grandmother. The, all these things happen. God could be speaking to you through a dream, or he could not. I don't know. The evidence, though, the Spirit is in your life when you know that you have repented of your sins and you're actually making changes in your life. This is where you know. 
It's more than just a dream of, of, of a dead relative. It's more than just a feeling of emotion in the moment. I think I need to do that. No, it is, it is consistent with a change that God is doing in your life. Because, because, because Mary, God had done something in her life. She just couldn't see it yet. She believed it. She received it, but she couldn't see it. But the water then was the visual that said, no, he's absolutely done something in your life. And here's the visual proof. You look different today than you did six weeks ago. You look different today than you did a year ago. There's a change in your life. And that change in your life, that's what the water does. The water is a symbol of of purity or of washing or of cleansing. And so the water comes to us to purify us, to wash us, to cleanse us. What does that mean? It means it's going to change the way that we talk to people, the way that we think, the way that we look at people. It's going to change the websites we visit. Come on, somebody. It's going to change the, 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 the conversations that we have. It's going to change us. The water comes in and empowers us to do what the Spirit has already called us to do. So the Spirit says you need, to, you need to change your life. You need to turn around. And we say, yes, I'm going to start turning around. And we're trying to turn around, but it's pretty hard. We can't do it on our own. And that's where the water comes into play. And the water comes and says, hey, you need to turn around, and I'm going to empower you to turn around. You need to change your thinking. I'm going to empower you to change your thinking. You need to stop going to those websites. I'm going to empower you to stop going to those websites. You know what I'm saying? Like it is the water that actually creates a visual shift in your, in, in your life. And so Mary has this visual shift and it's growing inside of her. And then Jesus, uh, his very first act, really a public act is a sermon that he gives where he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. And this is to, to identify that the spirit, right? The spirit was witnessing about Jesus. All right, well, that's great. Do you know what happened right after that in the Gospels? Right after that, Jesus goes down to the River Jordan to where John is. And John is baptizing people, not this John, uh, John the baptizer or the Baptist. And uh, John is baptizing people in the Jordan. Jesus goes into the Jordan and says, I want you to baptize me. And John says, oh, my God. (laughs) No, not not actually. (laughs) It would have been funny if he did, though. That would have been funny, but he says, "No, I'm." He says, "No, uh, this is this is backward. Like you're supposed to baptize me because you are the Son of God. Like you are greater than me. Like you, like of all the people that doesn't need to be baptized, Jesus is top of the list." And then there's nobody else. Like he's the only one on the list. And John's like, uh, I'm, I'm baptizing people for the repentance of sin. Like, what, is, what are you going to repent of? You haven't done anything. I mean, he literally hadn't done it. nothing to repent of. And Jesus says, no, I'm not repenting for anything. I am fulfilling all righteousness. I am doing what I need to do. And I am also being baptized. So why did Jesus need to be baptized? Well, there's a number of reasons. I mean, one, the location is really important. In the Jordan River, most believe that the position where John is baptizing people is in the Jordan, and it's in the part of the Jordan where, uh, oh, about, I don't know, 1,200, 1,300 years prior, another guy named Yeshua, his name was Joshua, stepped into the same part of the Jordan, and the waters parted, and he led God's people into the land that God had promised them. And so in many ways, Jesus is the second Yeshua, the second Joshua, which means the Lord saves, that's what the 
name Jesus means is what the name Joshua means. So in many ways, Jesus is also stepping down into the Jordan, that thing, that, 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 that barrier that was between you and the promises of God, me and the promises of God. We could not enter into the rest that God had for us because there was this barrier. And so Jesus is stepping in in order to be the first one to be baptized. And then as we're baptized with him, we also are able to follow him through the Jordan to the promises of God. So there's a prophetic thing that's happening about the very location where Jesus is being baptized. But not only that, there's also a fulfilling. He says, I'm, I have to fulfill all righteousness. Well, in, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that the entire Old Testament uh, Levitical structure of priests and sacrifice was all about Jesus. The whole deal that they would have these priests, which is why we don't need priests anymore because we have a priest. His name is Jesus. But they used to have priests. These priests were in charge of offering sacrifices for the sins of the people. Well, now Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our great high priest who offers himself. So it's interesting. Jesus is both the priest and the sacrifice. Like he's the lamb and the priest. And he offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins once and for all. So we don't have to keep killing lambs and keep hiring priests. But when they would hire a priest, the priest would come by three things. First off, the priest would have to be washed in water. He's dripping wet, symbolizing purity. So he's washed with water. Then they would sprinkle him with blood symbolizing atonement, that he would, he would stand in the gap and make atonement for the people, and then they would anoint his head with oil, symbolizing the Holy Spirit. The three witnesses. You have the Spirit, the blood, and the water. And so here's Jesus, and he also came by the Spirit, by the water, and by the blood. So he's fulfilling that as a priest. He has to be washed. And not only does he have to be washed, but he comes up out of the water and there's a visual symbol of him, of his purity. He already was pure before he got in the water, but when he comes up out of the water, now everybody has a visual. And I said, one of the things the water does is it provides a visual for our faith. Well, this is what happens. Jesus comes up out of the water. Here's a visual of cleanness, a visual of purity. And when he comes up, the heavens open up and the father speaks over him. And says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then the spirit comes and lands on him and rests on him. But, but this, this is the key. God's pleasure is in his son before his son performs anything. He hasn't preached a sermon on the mount yet. He hasn't raised the dead yet. He hasn't done anything. So where's the pleasure? The pleasure is in the purity. The pleasure is in the purity. That when we allow the washing of the word, the word of God to wash us and to cleanse us, then before we start serving, before we start tithing, before we join a church, before we do anything else, we start, we are candidates for the pleasure of God because God sees the purity that's happening in your heart. And he sees that purity and he sees his son as a visual representation of his ultimate purity. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, the pleasure of God is within our purity. And that's the other word that the water gives to us. Because so often when we first put our faith in God, and we first start trying to follow God, there's so many things in our life that need rearranged and need washed and need cleansed. We get so discouraged that we're so far behind what we need to be and who we need to be. And yet the water stands up and says, no, no, no. God is really pleased with that step that you made today. 
God is really pleased with that thing that you denied yourself yesterday. God is really pleased with that apology that you made to so-and-so when you said such and such. Like God is pleased. His pleasure is in the purity. And the purity isn't always visual. It was at the, at the, at, at the baptism for everybody to see. But it's not always visual. Sometimes only you and God see it. Sometimes it's a shift that only you and God are aware of. But, you, but, but man, if you could see the pleasure of God before your performance, before your gifts are activated, before your leadership skills are you know, on display, before you get on the stage, before you get a microphone, if you could see the pleasure of God in daily steps of purity... <laughs> He's, he's rejoicing over you. He's thrilled about it. And the water is there to, to prove it. The water says, no, no, no. God has given us eternal life. God has given us eternal life. Like, like it's, and it's a really good thing. And it's not based on your performance. And it's not based on, 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 your, on your righteousness. But in his own grace, he's ready to empower you to live differently. And so we get discouraged. Sometimes conviction discourages us, but the water is there to encourage us and say, no, God is finding pleasure in the steps that you're taking. God is finding pleasure in the, in the moment by moment, the way that you're learning to moment by moment lean on him. See, God doesn't demand, he doesn't merely demand righteousness. He gives righteousness. That's what the water, the water doesn't just tell you to be clean the water washes you (laughs) and so God doesn't just tell you be holy he tells you be holy but then he empowers you to be holy he washes us with his word and with his spirit and the, the the power of the word of God in our life begins to and it's not all at once because you wash with water, I mean, you got, you got to do some scrubbing. You know what I'm saying? You're going to have to do, it's going to take a little bit. It's going to take some time. But the water is there all along to show you the progress that you're making. Water, unlike, uh, I don't know, tar. I have, this, I have this stuff that I wash my hair with. It's like got 1% tar in it because I struggle with dandruff. And so uh, this tar stuff, like I guess it does something to your scalp. I, I discovered it when I was like 20 and I, I just get the same kind all the time. It smells terrible. Um, and it's really, really like, it's just, it's almost blackish. I don't know. It, it, it's freaky to put on your hair at first and you really don't want to get it in your eyes. <laughs> That's why I try to keep my, just keep it out of my eyes. But as I wash my hair with it, you know, it's like all this, it's this funky brown kind of dark color and you can't tell if it's clean and I think sometimes people feel like that's that's kind of their walk with God it's like well it's all just a big jumbled mess I don't really know but no like when you wash with water like you can you can tell when I wash my car with just water you can tell when you when it's when it's clean or not then when you put soap and suds on it, then you can't tell and you don't know. Oh, you're hoping that it's doing something. But the water of the word of God, it does incremental cleanliness and you see it every single time. You see the benefits of it. You get to witness it in your life and it's encouraging. And so Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water. The, the water testifies to him, to his purity and to the fact that he is eternal life. And then he goes about his ministry. And the very first miracle that Jesus performs is all about water. 
right? There, he's, he's at a wedding in Cana, and these weddings, they used to last for seven days. Uh, so you would get married, and you wouldn't go on a honeymoon. You would kind of have your honeymoon with your family. Yay! And uh, you, 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 like, you, you party. Like, they're very family-oriented. And so the couple doesn't go off on their own and, like, go to Vegas. The, they, they, they hang out with their family for seven days, and the father of the bride provides this feast, this meal. He saves up, like, a lot of his life, actually, to provide this because... Because in that culture, it's very important that you treat your guests well. In fact, treat your guests better than yourself. So, so he's prepared for this. He's been, he's been getting ready for this. Jesus is apparently at this wedding. I don't know if he's related to this, the person who's one of the people who's getting married. But Mary, his mother, is also there. They run out of wine, which is very, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a disaster. Uh, the man's going to be shamed in his community. And Mary says, hey, I... I, my son can do something about this. I know somebody. I got the hookup. Like any good mom, right? Their son can handle it. Like whatever it is, he can just do it. And so, she's, so she comes up to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine. And he says, well, I wasn't drinking it. You know, I mean, you know that. I'm just kidding. He didn't really say that. It was, it was Peter, that guy. Like he's been like, could somebody put a limit on him? I mean, come on. The 12 disciples, they are drinking it. And, 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 and Mary says, well, and Mary doesn't even argue with him. But Jesus does say, what does that have to do with me? I'm not the wine guy. Like, what are you talking about? And, 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 and Mary says, okay. And so Mary goes to the, 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 the servants of the house, the guys that worked for the master of the house, the, 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 the father of the bride, and says, just do, like, go to that guy over there, do whatever he tells you to do. So the servants come to Jesus and is like, so what do you want us to do? We're out of wine. We're in big trouble. What do you want us to do? And Jesus says, go get some water. So once again, I mean, like, it's so interesting. In the Gospel of John, there's seven major miracles. This is the first one. And, and, and it has to do with water. Jesus says, go get uh, some vats full of water, take the water, and serve it to, to, the, to the, the master of the ceremony, to the father. Give, just scoop out some of this water and give him something to drink. And they're like, okay. And so by faith, they walk with the water, they scoop it out, and when they pour it into the cup, it turns into wine. Right? And, he, and, and, and he says, wow, this is really actually really good one. And so we see that Jesus, though, so water is evidence of Jesus's power. So it's not only evidence of the purity that is happening in your life, it's also evidence of the power of God in your life. Now, it wasn't to everybody. This, this, by the way, uh, John says that actually nobody knew because they just thought, oh, wow, they saved the best wine to last. Look at all the wine they got left. Wow, this guy's really a great host. But the servants knew. So there are people, there are some people close to you. The whole world might not see the changes that are happening, but there are people that are close to you and say, man, I know what God did. I know how God healed them. I know how God saved that marriage. I know how they used to be and how they are now. Like I am a witness to the witness. Like I believe the witness because I see it with my own eyes, the power of God. And, and not only that, but, but throughout Jesus's ministry, right? He, 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 he wants to talk to a woman in Samaria and he chooses to sit by a well and he's sitting by the well and she's drawing water and he says, would you give me some water? So the water of life is asking for a drink. He's thirsty. And she says, well, you don't have anything to draw with and we don't talk to you. And they get into this conversation and ultimately he says, look, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for some water. I would have given you freely water and you would never thirst again. 
And so again, Jesus starts using this idea, water, to prove who he is. And in that conversation, he actually gives her some of this water of life. And it is a revelation of who he is. That's the water of life. That's, that's the water that testifies to who Jesus is. She realizes who he is, and she says, oh my God. No, not actually, but that would have been funny. She realizes who he is, and she immediately goes and tells others. Why? Because she found the water of life next to the well that Jacob had dug. <laughs> because Jesus is the water that Jacob was looking for. Jesus is the city that Abraham was looking for. Jesus, it like, like this is testifying. This is the witness. The water is saying, hey, hey, this is, this, this, this is the one. After you find him, you don't need water this well anymore because this well was talking about him. He is the wellspring, the water of life. And like it, at the last supper, Jesus is washing with water all of his disciples' feet. Peter says, no, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, look, if I don't wash, you. You don't have any place with me. And so Peter, of course, says, well, then why don't you just wash my whole body? He says, no, I'm going to wash the part that is actually dirty. I don't, I don't waste washing. I deal with the issues of your life. And so he begins washing his feet. And so if you want to have a part with Jesus, you have to have the humility to allow him to wash, not just the part you're proud of, right? The face that you've been working on all day, but the feet that you've been trying to cover up, like the dirty stuff in your life. You have to release that, open that up to him. And another part in John chapter 7, I actually have this to put on the screen. John chapter 7 says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, if we can leave that passage up, it says at the beginning that it was on the last day, the great day of the feast. The feast that they're talking about is the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a seven-day feast, and they're not sure if this is the seventh or the eighth day. There's some arguing about that. But essentially, on the last day of the feast, everybody would come out of their makeshift tabernacles because they would live in a, in a, uh, like in a hut. In their, and, and even nowadays, in Jerusalem, during the Feast of Tabernacles, you'll see them build these little shelters. They, they, they look like manger scenes uh, in their front yard. Uh, they don't necessarily live in them anymore, but, but God had commanded that during that week, you move out of your house, you go live in a riggedy shack in your yard or in the wilderness. And it was to remind yourself of how their ancestors lived for 40 years in the wilderness. And so God wanted to remind them about his faithfulness. So they would live in, a, like, literally made of sticks, a shack. Like, let's say, it's, it's raining, you're, you're going to get wet. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, like, it was just, a, this, it was a little shelter, like a one, like a three-sided thing with a, with a lid. And all, the whole family, the kids, everybody, we're moving out to the front yard. We're going to go camping for a week. And, and they weren't allowed to like eat what they normally ate. They weren't allowed to do, and they, they weren't allowed to work. Like, like they just, they just had to live all camping together. See, God's, God's a family God. So he gets the whole family together. He's like once a year for a whole week, you guys are going to like, whether you like each other or not, you're going to be in this shack together and you're going to live together. You're going to make it work. And then at the end of that, they would have a great feast and they would all come into the city of Jerusalem and now they're ready to eat some pizza. They're ready to have some steak. Like they're ready to really celebrate and enjoy life. And this is also sanctioned by God. He said, I want you to celebrate. 
So God's a God of partying. He, he enjoys celebration. He says, look, after a whole week of living out there on, like, on, in this little shack, then you come into my house, you come into Jerusalem, and then you have this massive party. And so what they would do is they would have this big party, but before they had the party, the priest would come down to the lowest part of Jerusalem. There's this, there's this, there's this pool at the lowest part. They would come down, walk down to the lowest part, and they would fill up some jars of water. They would scoop up that water, and then they would start making their way up to the highest part of Jerusalem. It's, it, it's a bit of a trek, but th- th- finally, the highest part of Jerusalem used to be the temple, the Temple Mount. And there's this, a whole lot of stairs there. They'd get to the stairs of the temple, and, and, and they would have their jars of water, and with each step up a stair, they would take a step, and then they would say a prayer. It was a prayer of thanksgiving. Thanking God for his deliverance, thanking God for taking their ancestors through the wilderness, thanking God for the deliverance, for, for, for what he's doing right now. And then when they would pray, they would pour out some of the water on the step because it was an offering. Because water also isn't just, uh, what, what were the other P's I had? I had purity, I had power. It's not just provision, but it is provision. It's, it, this, is God's, this is God's provision to them because when you're in the wilderness, you really need some water. And there happened to be in the wilderness a rock and God told Moses to speak to the rock and water would come out of the rock, right? And so Jesus stands up and says, hey, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. I am the rock that water is flowing out of. Okay, so this is what they're celebrating and, and they're taking that provision, it's called tithing, and they're pouring some of it out to God in praise, so water is the provision that God's given you. And as, you, as you've received, so you freely give. And with each step, you take a step and, and you, you worship God for the step. And this is what's interesting because for Americans, we have a hard time worshiping in the steps. We're always trying to get to the, the final destination. And that's where we're going to worship. Like we're going to climb all the way to the top and we're just going to do the whole bucket on top of our heads. And we're like, woohoo. Like, like that's kind of our plan. We don't celebrate till we hit the weekend, right? Until we hit the, uh, the, the anniversary or until we hit, like, we're always looking for that, that the top of the steps. But what they did is with each step, they take one step and they pour out some of the water and they'd worship God for the, for the one step. So I would encourage you maybe even just use some of the provision that God's given you. Let the water speak to you that God has been faithful. Maybe you don't have the job that you're praying for, but you have this particular job. Maybe you don't have the family that you're praying for, but you have this particular family. Maybe your spouse isn't the spouse you're praying that they will be eventually, but you have this particular spouse. And man, if you could learn to worship in each step, like you take one step, pour a little water and say, God, like, like, hey, this is, I'm, I'm a little bit further than I was last week. Right. That's why we worship weekly, because I, I may not be exactly where I need to go, but I'm not where I used to be. I'm at least one step higher than I used to be. And before I even take the next step, I'm not going to rush to the end product. I'm going to praise you in the middle of the process, pour out a little water right here and say, God has been faithful right here. He gave me this water. He gave me this ability. And so I'm going to thank him right here. And then I'm going to take the next step and look, wow, God's been faithful here. Let's pour out a little more. And as I look back over my life, I'm able to thank him more. More and more and more and more. And guess what? In, in, like in, 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 in Jerusalem, there is a top. But in life, there is no top. You never get there. And so if you don't praise him in the process, you're just never going to praise him. And so the water is not just for purity. And it's not, it's, it's, it is also, it is provision. The water testifies that Jesus is, God has given us eternal life. 
God has given us eternal life. And so, and so we don't hold on to our provision so tightly because God has given. See, if, if, if you didn't have something greater, you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't let any of this water out of the cup. You would, just, you would just grab it all for yourself and try to collect everything that you have. But because we believe that God has given us eternal life, we don't have to hold on to this life so tightly. And it's, and, it, and it's so interesting. I, I, I grew up in a home where they, they knew God had given them eternal life. And my parents got saved six months before I was born. And they knew God had given them eternal life, which means that they weren't highly involved in like a retirement plan. Because a lot of the money w- that they brought in was going toward the church, was going toward others, was going toward uh, like wh- whatever God was doing in the moment because God had given them eternal life. And I'm not saying it's bad to save. I personally try to save a little bit more. But at the end of the day, you can save up all you want. And it's crazy to me that people at the end of their life are more consumed with staying here. It's so weird. It's like your 20s and 30s and 40s and like, oh, yeah, it's all God. And then, and then sometimes people get to the end of their life and they're more consumed about stuff they can't take with them. Why? Because maybe they don't know that God has given them eternal life. Or maybe they don't remember that. Maybe they don't think about that. But when you know that God has given your, you eternal life, then you can, you, you can pour this out freely. You can give freely. And so my parents have continued, right? So they, like they, and this, this is how they raised me. This is how they, this is how they brought me up to hold on to life loosely, but to hold on to God with a tight, tight grip because God has given us eternal life. And if I have God, I have everything that I need. If I don't have God, it doesn't matter what else I might have. It doesn't matter what my bank account says. It doesn't matter what people say about me. It doesn't matter what, what, what kind of church I would build. But if I, if, I, if I don't have eternal life, none of this matters. And so the water will stand up. The provision that God gives us is a reminder that God has given us eternal life. So don't fall in love with the witness. <laughs> like, like it's not about, like you, like you, you're not after the witness. The judge is not like, I like that witness. How about you just stick, stick around with me, witness? I, I, you can just stay here in the courtroom, live with me. All that. No, like the judge is there to believe the witness and to make a judgment call on the defendant. The witness is already free. The witness is walking around. The witness can do whatever it wants to do. But the defendant is waiting for a judgment call to see if he will be activated. And Jesus is waiting for you to believe the water for you to believe the provision he's given you. For you to say, okay, I see how God's provided for me. And based on that, I am going to judge God as faithful. I'm going to lay down the gavel and judge God as faithful, which means I'm not going to hold on to the water so tightly, my, my provision so tightly. I'm going to allow some of it to go out to others. I'm going to allow some of it to go over to this ministry. I'm going to allow some of it to go over to this cause. I'm going to allow, and I'm going to start just worshiping God with my provision. I'm going to take my provision and I'm going to make much of Jesus. I'm going to make much of him. I'm going to make, I'm going to let, I'm going to let this be a witness to not just me, but to you also. Look, look at who God is. Look, look, look at what God does. And I, and, and, and I pour it out. And so, I mean, whether it's the great feast, whether it's uh, Jesus, I mean, even after he, he died and, and rose again, you know, he chose, uh, he chose the seashore by a large body of water to, to reveal who he was to Peter. 
Now he had showed up to Peter before that, that he was resurrected. He allowed uh, Thomas to touch his side and touch the holes in his hands and all that stuff. He showed up to the ladies as well in the, in the, in, in the garden when, where, where, they, where they, they couldn't find his body. But, but when he wanted to show that God has given us eternal life and his life is in his son, he showed up on the seashore and he called out to the disciples who were fishing like what had happened previously in the gospels. And he said, hey, you're not catching any fish. Throw your net on the other side. And they did. And their whole nets were full of so much fish that the boat began to sink. And everybody was pretty much consumed with the fish except for Peter. Peter said, wait a minute, I've seen this before. And Pete jumped in the water, swam to the shore and bowed down and worshiped Jesus. Why would he worship him? Because he is the son of God. How do you know that he's the son of God? Because the water told him that. The proof was in the water. The proof was in the fact that, that, that he had done this miracle in Peter's life prior. And then Peter saw him do it again. <laughs> and sometimes when God does it again, sometimes water, the first time it came into your life was good back in, 1975. <laughs> but when God does it again, sometimes it's the second time that really convinces you. Sometimes it's the, it's the, it's the return back to God that really, that really speaks to you. Because it's so interesting how we're able to have these experiences with God. And then over time, these experiences sort of fade in the background. We wonder, well, I don't know if that was really true. I don't know if that was, might, might have just been me being emotional. I don't really know. And, and then we, and we forget but when he does it again, when he draws us again, when he calls us again, when he, when he uh, shows his love and faithfulness to us again, when he offers forgiveness and, and sanctifying and cleansing again, when he does it the second time, it's like, okay, I, 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 now I know that this really is God. The water stands up in the witness and says, hey, God is not only uh, trying to make you pure. He's not only bringing his power into your life and his provision, but also, also his faithfulness. And his faithfulness just really draws us, draws us into him. And so, once again, my, my question is, are you ready to, to judge Jesus? <laughs> are you ready to affirm him, really? Are you ready to believe the message of the water in your life? And I, I mean, I, I could go right on down through church history, how water, how purity has testified to the people of God. Even just the very fact that it, within our own culture, people expect Christians to act differently. You notice that? Let a CEO of some major company do something dumb, nobody says anything. Let a senior pastor do something wrong. And <gasps> Why? Because for centuries, the water has spoken up and said, Christians are different. Yeah. And this guy's not a Christian because he's not different. Even our own culture recognizes that. The, the, the media recognizes. Because they, they've seen for 2,000 years, the water has stood up and said, Jesus makes people different. If they encounter him, if they walk with him, not saying that they never make any mistakes, but he makes them different. And so, the, so our culture is shocked and aghast when somebody who claims to be a Christian then acts like them. Why? Because for 2,000 years, the witness of the water has been saying, hey, this will change you. This right here, this will do something. 
And even people that don't believe in it and don't want it still have to admit, yep, it does something. It changes people. I've noticed that. This guy over here is weird because he didn't get changed. He just got religious. So something's weird with him. But wow, yeah, it does. And it does. And so even people that deny Jesus, who he really is, they don't believe the full witness of the water. They've noticed that purity happens. Change happens. And so... If you're open to that change, I would encourage you just to even just raise your hands right now, just open your, open your arms in an act of receiving, whether you're watching from home or you're here in person. And Father, what we just want to do is we want to receive <laughs> the water, the spiritual water, 